Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Thursday, October 19th, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Southhold officials agree that the town should use money from its new community housing fund to provide loans for first-time homebuyers and encourage construction of accessory apartments to address the town's growing affordable housing crisis. But board members are at odds over how to implement the program. The town board on October 10th voted 6-0 to zero to approve the housing plan, which guides how money generated through a half percent tax on most real estate transactions will be spent. Tara Smith reporting on Newsday.com that in a separate vote, the board narrowly approved creating a new position to oversee the program. That measure pla- uh, passed in a split decision for two and uh, directs the supervisor to submit a document that outlines responsibilities to the County Department of Civil Service in order to match the position with a title. Southhold Town Supervisor Scott Russell voted against the new position. He and Councilmember Louisa Evans agree the board should identify their priorities before hiring someone. Plan calls for a new housing department, but Councilmember Jill Daugherty said hiring one person can serve as a springboard for implementing the plan. We need that expertise to guide us, she told Newsday. The new employee would review applications for community housing programs, monitor ongoing projects, maintain a housing registry and list of properties for sale or lease at all times, and conduct compliance reviews, among other responsibilities. According to the filing, the document does not include a salary, but sets qualifications as a bachelor's degree or higher and prior experience in government or private sector housing. In other news, more than 10 districts statewide, including at least one on Long Island, received swatting threats yesterday intended to cause panic and scare students and faculty, Governor Kathy Hochul said. John Valenti and Robert Brodsky reporting on Newsday.com that East Hampton Town Police confirmed one of those threats was received early Wednesday by officials in the Amagansett School District, which has one elementary school. East Hampton officers and state police responded but found no credible threat. East Hampton Police spokesperson Captain Christopher Anderson said Amagansett received an email threat shortly before 9 a.m. yesterday from an anonymous source stating bombs had been placed in the school as well as every school in New York State. The email, he said, listed a place upstate where the ransom should be delivered, but investigators determined the threat as not being credible. Anderson said it almost seemed as, seemed as if it was half-bomb threat with a component uh, with a component of swatting to it. Anderson added, after investigation, it was determined it was all bogus. This originated in a foreign country, as far as we could tell. The building was evacuated and law enforcement searched the school but found nothing suspicious. Students were allowed back in shortly after, uh, shortly before 11 a.m. Captain Anderson did not elaborate further, citing ongoing statewide investigation, which other law enforcement agencies confirmed involves the Department of Homeland Security. Here in Southampton, the town board held a public hearing last week to talk about fallout from a 2019 state law that authorized school districts to install stop arm cameras on school buses to catch drivers who unlawfully pass stopped school buses. Tom Gagola reporting on 27East.com that when those drivers pass a stopped school bus, a a camera takes a photo, which is then sent to the cloud and then to safety experts at a company called Alert Bus, who then review the footage and prepare evidence packages for law enforcement violators. Pay the ticket via the third-party vendor Alert Bus, which provides a portal to a video of their purported misdeed. Most people just pay it, but hundreds of people who were ticketed in Southampton Town have cases pending where they've asked for a hearing, uh, though none are available at this time. The issue according to Assistant Town Attorney Sean Cambridge, is that the 2019 law is a non-criminal offense without any sanction available through the DMV, such as points on a driver's license. Southampton Town Justice Court is not the right venue to hear those cases, given that they have no discretion over a ticket that comes with a predetermined fine and no option for defendants other than to enter a guilty or non-guilty plea and pay the fine or not.
Local judges in Justice Court have recommended dismissing that entire batch of pending cases and starting fresh with a new administrative law judge in place as soon as the town board can sort out how it wants to proceed. And finally, East Hampton Town expecting uh, to begin clearing land off Abraham's path in January to make uh, way for the start of construction of the new senior center. Michael Wright reporting on 27East.com that the architects who are designing the building presented the town board with detailed plans for the new facility featuring sloping roof lines reminiscent of a potato barn, stainless steel shingles and skylights able to capture energy while allowing sunlight into the building's central spaces and said they hope to have the building under construction by the second half of next year and completed by late 2025. The designs have yet to be finalized uh, nor priced, and the town's planning board and architectural review board are still to be consulted on the layout and design. The town of East Hampton purchased the seven-acre property adjacent to the town ball fields on the east side of Abraham's Path in 2024, $1.63 million. Staying in East Hampton Town for the weather as we fly over to the beginning, ahead of our chat with author Celine Keating, whose new book, The Stark Beauty of Last Things, takes place in the beloved hamlet that was once an island, that is Montauk. Looking like a sunny Thursday in Montauk with a high near 63 degrees, light south wind increasing to 5 to 9 miles per hour in the morning, Increasing clouds tonight with a low around 55 degrees, south wind around 8 miles per hour. Right now it's 58 degrees, and I've got the stand edition prepared for you, all wrapped around Scott Firestein's uh, cover of Stevie Nicks' Stand Back, starting with Anne Peebles, Eric Clapton, Stevie Wonder, and John Cougar Mellencamp on deck. It's the title track to Anne's 1972 record, I Can't Stand the Rain, right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the heart of the East End. I can't stand the rain against my window, bringing back sweet memories. Hey, when the rain, do you remember how sweet it used to be? Just one sound that I just 
Stand by for Celine Keating. I'm Jenna Volpe. That was Eric Clapton. This is Stevie Wonder. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. You're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust. Music you love. It's a perfect place to put this Thoughtful Thursday segment right between Stevie Wonder's I Ain't Gonna Stand For It and John Cougar Mel- Mellencamp's You Gotta Stand 
for something. Uh, very grateful to welcome on for the first time, at least for this show, Celine Keating. Uh, I interviewed her years ago on the AM dial. Uh, I still have my on Montauk, a little a literary celebration magnet on my fridge, Celine. So I'm, I'm delighted uh, that the Stark Beauty of Last Things, which is your new book, uh, is uh, also on Montauk, and I'm and uh, you know that the region is central to Stark Beauty, and I always love a map of the area. So thank you for putting one in the preface. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on, Gianna. I appreciate it. It's so lovely to have you. Uh, I learned so much about Montauk from your book. It's history, ecology, it's heart. I loved learning that the scalloping of the cliffs are referred to as hoodoos. I didn't know that. I feel like I gained further appreciation for the concept of continuity of habitat and how the fragmentation of land can contribute to the reduction of biodiversity. Remind me about your connection to the area. There was something about camping, I know. (laughs) Well, my first introduction was in the middle of the night in college when I drove out in a January evening to the lighthouse and then drove back to Queens where I grew up. And then the second time I visited Montauk was with the man who became my husband, uh, not quite at that point, but a few years later, and we camped at Hither Hills. Right. And I fell totally in love with the area, and um, it was a thrill when uh, probably about a decade later we were able to purchase a co-op in Montauk. Uh, This is going back many decades now. Are you still there? Ironically, I actually, in an example of fact-following fiction, Uh, My husband and I were at a point in our lives where we wanted to basically retire and live in one home. And like the characters in the book, we couldn't afford to stay in Montauk. Um, So I became a victim of the forces that I I explore in the book. And um, we ended up selling our co-op and moving a year ago to the coast of Rhode Island. So actually, you're just across the water. Uh, I've come back frequently. Um, and uh, sad to say, though, no longer in Montauk. Yeah, it's a, it's a you know, uh, as central to Montauk a story can get, you know. Exactly. Uh, so, so many local people uh, are, are, are not able to hold on. Um, and it's it was interesting timing, too, because uh, it's, it, we have the FIMP project, you know, the Army Corps finally coming out and planning uh, to do something when uh, that's something that's uh, doesn't seem uh, like it's going to happen in the book. Uh, let's talk about right. The, let's talk about the setting of <laughs> yes. the book, the time, and the context. It's it's a work of fiction, but it's got strong ties to the real world in recent time. Yes, it was an interesting uh, experiment in in combining the imaginary with the real. And I wrote it over a number of years so that ironically, some of what I was starting to envision was happening before I finished the book. Right. Um, So yes, I do have the geotubes that were put in uh, on the beachfront where the Army Corps is now actually going to replenish. Um, And in the book, of course, I have an act of vandalism that doesn't really, that didn't take place in real life. Right, But um, the struggle over beach erosion and replenishment and coastal retreat is one that has been gathering a lot of um, attention, I would guess, uh, you would say, over the last decade or so. And so that was something I talk about in the book. And but it is, it is relevant, and it's relevant, too, because, you know, obviously this is a project that's long overdue, and I wonder, like, if like in the book, if it has contributed to at least some of the folks' inabilities to stay. Right. Well, definitely, um, I think not necessarily the beach being lost because it hasn't been. You know, it's managed to, you know, with the replenishment, it's managed. But down by the Ditch Plains area, um, the beaches are scoured of sand and there are coves that are nothing but rock. Um, houses that you can see are sort of 
their foundations are right at the edge of the cliff now where they had once been far away. Right. The whole issue of, you know, what's the best thing to do when sea level is rising on a global level, um, that's really a very contemporary issue that people will be grappling with. Right. You know, Celine, one of my favorite things about your writing is the texture to your environments, the tactile sense. You you can't just see, uh, hear, and and even smell the narrative. You can actually feel it. Do you want to talk about the importance of show, don't tell when bringing a reader into the worlds one creates? Sure. Um, I, I really work hard on my prose and um, try to bring in, you know, every sense that I can. Um, and I guess for me, writing description is, is somewhat enjoyable. It's one of the, the things I love most about Montauk and that I wanted to express in the book. So I'm really happy that that comes across to you. Um, just that I wanted to, to show how the main character Clancy goes from being someone really divorced of nature, you know, growing up in a city, not having any experience of the, the wildness of nature, and then how it becomes the, the way he's, he changes and is transformed and actually right. feels a sense of home. Divorced, so was, divorced um, of a lot. The positive end of, of um, the story, I guess, while the other parts of the story are somewhat uh, cautionary tale or, you know, problems that are existing. I wanted to bring forth just the feeling of being in Montauk. I fell in love with it, and I guess I just really wanted it to, to share it, you know, the, the way it feels being there and every aspect of it. So I'm really thrilled that that comes across for you. Uh, yes, you know, and and Clancy, he he really grows uh, connection not just to wildness, but to people as well, and to a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of things. Uh, well, let, let's get back to the environment. I I loved. We'll talk about the seasonal breaks and why those are so special, uh, but also I uh, just a little detail: garnets in the sand. Is that for real? Can you talk a little bit about about uh, this thing? Yes, there really are streaks of red in some places, and um, that's what uh, apparently causes it, is that there's garnet. And there's many, I'm not a geologist, but I've gone on talks with some, and um, on a lot of hikes in the area where people will talk about the various flora and fauna. And um, if you go to the walking dunes, you'll see it's an orange color from, I guess it's iron ore, but on the ocean beaches, there are places where there's like a purple streak, and right. that's from from garnet. That's fascinating to me. I love it. All right, so let's let's talk about uh, these seasonal breaks that we get. We're not only broken down by chapter, which are often uh, or every time titled by uh, the person mostly that we are staying within in that chapter. Uh, can you talk about these seasonal breaks? It was, it was really a pleasure, and especially to get every single season in there. Yeah, I wanted to um, sort of capture the whole world of Montauk, um, and like you, I just love it in, in every aspect of it. And it was hard to to do that in a close-in third-person point of view with each character in the way that I wanted. And I got the idea of the sort of pulling back like a camera to see the whole of the peninsula and then like hone in with the character chapters. And so I got the idea of doing those seasonal breaks because one of the wonderful things about Montauk and other resort areas, I guess, that are coastal is that they're very distinct in the different time periods. And what goes on is so different from the dead of winter when everybody disappears to the you know the beginning of the tourist season or the beginning of the fishing season in the fall, so uh, I wanted to give that big picture feeling um, and um, sort of almost like a godlike overview. So I loved it because I want I guess because I wanted Montauk to not just be about Montauk. I was trying to say something bigger that it's emblematic of many other places that are undergoing these kinds of transformations. And 
So it, it's not just a particular spot and a particular problem. It's something that really so many people face where they live. Right. I mean, this is really an idea. We'll talk about uh, Edward Hirsch's quote in the preface to the narrative. Uh, it shimmers with the dark radiance, the stark beauty of last things, which, you know, is the title of the book. Uh, can you talk about about Montauk not just as a place but as an idea uh, as it pertains to, uh, you know, our changing w- climate and world, for example? Well, yes. Um, what happened as I was living there, when I first came, it was a sort of sleepy fishing village, quaint, charming, many positive, positive aspects of it. And then as I saw things changing where like the mom and pops were getting bought up by outside, you know, conglomerates and the pressures to sell for the locals and then the environmental things, it really got me thinking about so many bigger issues like what does it mean for, um, for us to lose landscape? What does it mean to lose wild places? Right. Um, it, and that's happening all over the world. There are many, many coastal areas, even islands, where people are going to have to be relocated. Um, and then how, how do you balance those needs of human beings with the needs of nature or the needs of human beings for nature? Right. So it's, it's that kind of philosophical musing sort of entered into the novel to some extent, too, in the way that Clancy has to decide what to do with that one piece of land. It's sort of representative of other places where there's this, conflict between real human needs like for affordable housing right. or for jobs versus saving land just to appreciate and enjoy being outdoors. Yeah, it was and it, so it that's was happening everywhere, you know, so Florida, Cape Cod, um there's so many, so many places in the United States and around the world where these are the kinds of issues that we have to grapple with. You know, it was it was the first time I'd really uh, looked dead on on, a, you know, tensions between not just development, but development for affordable housing, which we all know is a crisis out here, and mm-hmm. that of, uh, you know, saving what's left as far as our right. environment is concerned. I, I do want to turn to the people for a second, just because something I really appreciated was Teresa Nolan, who is a bartender out at – and what's the bar – that you modeled um, the bar and the book after? Uh, I modeled it on the dock, okay. but I brought in some other elements, like, like the back room with the, where they play darts. Uh, obviously, I did not model, well, if you know the dock restaurant, I did not oh, model okay. the owner on, on that current owner. But it was sort of the vibe of the dock that I had in my mind. So the thing that was cool is she's a true ambivert. I've been told they don't exist. I believe in them as surely as I believe that I am one. But I just wanted to read a, a paragraph from Teresa's perspective that's explication of it. Uh, quote, Teresa savored the darkness and the quiet at night. The ocean was dominant. She let its lullaby calm her before heading inside, just as she needed to be in the thick of the noise and chaos of human beings at the bar. So also was this utter solitude essential? She didn't reflect on this seemingly contradictory aspect of herself or much else that made her who she was. I love that. Is Are you like that, <laughs> Celine? Um, I am not really like that. I'm definitely a solitary, um, and I do, but I do love people. But... Um, I'm very, very introspective, and Teresa yeah. is not, at least not initially. No. Right. And she's, of course, a much more um, outspoken, brusque, tough lady yes. than uh, I would say I am. She was a lot of fun to write. I don't know quite where she came from, and I had such a vivid sense of her and really enjoyed writing her story. How did it, it's, Do you want to talk about the beginnings of the book? How it um, came to be? You know, it came in parts. Uh, it would, I was taking notes from the beginning when I first came to Montauk. 
just little snippets here and there. And um, she, I don't remember how she arrived in my brain. Um, I can tell you that Clancy was the last character. It was <gasps> odd that he became kind of the central character. Uh, and then once he did, he kind of enabled me to tie it all together. It was sort of separate stories that didn't hang together. Who came first, um, Julian or Otto? Uh, Julian. Okay. Julian was one of the first. And actually, Grace, who becomes a minor character, she was an early one. Molly was based on somebody I saw working at the Gosman's Fish Market. Got it. Who just intrigued me and um, very different physically from how Molly, Molly's big and blonde and the woman that I remember noticing and sort of being curious about was short and dark. It's odd how these things work. And then what I find is I start writing and then either I hear a voice sort of or I don't. And it's once the voice, like I start really keying into a voice that, that the book sort of takes off. Even though I have all these themes I'm talking about and, and sort of ideas, it's really only when I have the characters that I can really form a plot and get going. So we're talking to author Celine Keating about her brand new book, The Stark Beauty of Last Things. Celine, before I let you go, uh, how has the response been um, to this book? And, and do you have any events coming up where we might be able to hear you do a reading or or sign copies of uh, Stark Beauty? Thanks for the question. I have been getting some wonderful reviews, uh, the Montauk Sun and the East End Beacon and also uh, Bauman Books and the NPR um, book review site, uh, website, podcast, I should say. Uh, so that's been extremely wonderful, as, as has your read of the book. Um, and to see that my ideas are getting across and the, and the work is, is um, feeling uh, compelling to somebody else is a wonderful feeling. I do have a reading coming up in Montauk on October 28th. At the Mon it's sponsored by the Montauk Historical Society at the Fisher House, which is a beautiful venue, so that'll be lovely. And uh, if anybody's interested, they should go on that website to register um, and uh, get whatever information they might need. And that it would be wonderful to uh, see anybody who wants to come out for that, including right, so yourself. I w I'm going to look up. I'm imagining it's Montauk Historical, but I want to make sure MontauqHistoricalSociety.org for more information about that reading at the Fisher House on October 28th. Do you know what time you might be getting started, Celine? Yes, it's in the afternoon, 4 to 6, so that everybody can drive in the dark. And um, it's in conversation with the wonderful best-selling author Tom Clavin. Oh, we love Tom. Um, yeah, so Tom will be doing an in-conversation with me. Perfect. All right, well, we are so grateful to have had you on this morning and even more, and very excited for that event on the 28th uh, with Montauk Historical Society and conversation with Tom Clavin. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Celine Keating. This is John Cougar Mellencamp. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End, featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of listeners like you donating to WLIWFM.org.
Stand-up tracks to lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. Brett Denon, DMB. Then uh, let's see, either Mel McDaniel or the Revivalists, Reverend Al Green and ACDC in your Is there something you love, you have to run away. Stand up for it. If there is something you love, you have to cherish it. Who draws the lines that separate good from evil? They don't fall between borders, religion or color. Of working for, working for good And working for evil If there is something you love You have to run to it Stand up for it If there is something you love You have to cherish it Stand up for it Everyday people like you and me We have to realize That we are not divided Everyday people like you and me We have to realize That we are not divided If there is something you love You have to run to it Stand up for it Shalala la 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 la
nobody's gonna come and stand by your side if there is something you love you have to run to it stand up for it if there is something you love you have to cherish it stand up for it stand up for it actually gonna hop past Dave Matthews and the revivalists. I'll play Mel McDaniel, the Reverend Al Green on deck, ACDC if we have any time after that. On WLIWFM. You ever had a hot date? One of those can't wait. Things go a little too far in the middle of a good night. Have you ever got right in the backseat of your car? I said stand up. Have you ever been there? Stand up, identify. Stand up, tell us all about it. Stand up, testify. Loaded up your visa and took a bartender home I said, stand up, if you ever been there Stand up, identify Stand up, tell us all about it Stand up, testify Just for me, man, knew just what to do Thought I was a hero, she rated me a zero Said, honey, child, you ain't through I said, stand up, have you ever been there? Stand up, identify Stand up, tell us all about it Stand up, testify Stand up if you ever been there. Stand up, identify. Stand up, tell us all about it. Stand up, y'all testify. Stand up. Stand up. Stand 